Coming up on this week's show, how to boot your PC with a vinyl record player. We look at the new Capcom Mini. And we talk footy games with Steve Screech. The Retro Hour is brought to you each week with the wonderful Bitmap books. And check out their recent The Games That Weren't book with the stories of over 80 legendary unreleased games. So interesting. Order now in time for Christmas at bitmapbooks.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the Retro Hour podcast, episode number 252. Your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood. Me, Ravi Abbott. And me, Joe Fox. I think for the first time ever, I didn't actually have to write down the intro. I just remembered that. Oh, really? I always thought you remembered it anyway. (laughs) Of course I do. I did not know that. (laughs) 252 episodes in. I always just sit here like being blown away, like the wow factor of Dan. It's like, yeah. (laughs) Nailed it now, finally. It only took nearly five years. Uh, But welcome to this week's show, our last one of November. And today we're going to go proper old school. Maybe back to the days when on a Saturday afternoon... When it was all cold and frosty, you were there with your dad, maybe going to your local football club, walking through the turnstile, maybe your little wood rattle in your hand to cheer on your favourite team, keeping your hands warm with a nice little plastic cup of Bovril. What days, Revy? Weeing in a bottle. <laughs> Those are the days, yeah. Because um, your dad won't take you to the toilet because he doesn't want to miss any of the game. Yeah. Um, f- Football games, basically, we you know it's a huge genre, and we've probably done about one show in um, two hundred and fifty-one about it, which was um, sensible soccer. So in this one, we and we had Kevin Toms on as well, didn't we? And we had yeah, yeah. We, fair dues, yeah, we had Kevin Toms on, so that's free <laughs> with this one. So we're going to be talking about kickoff and the whole kickoff series, and then we're going to go into the player manager series as well and these games are huge and they were like a massive genre and uh player manager was a really unique game because um it eventually became kevin keegan's player manager but um it was like you could simulate the game which a lot of people are doing at the moment in games like fifa but also you had the management side of it and we're going to talk about of course championship manager and and the football manager was because managers back then they they were a bit different in the 80s like nowadays not that many kids want to be a manager they all want to be the strikers and stuff but in the 80s they had real personality i remember brian clough he in nottingham he was he's a legend and uh he used to like drive the team van and drive them to the chip shop and uh <laughs> he even like went on the pitch and because people were doing a pitch invasion started walking around punching all the fans so wow. <laughs> you were like really, really big characters back then. And uh, it's really interesting because we, we also talk about stuff that was going on in that time and how the like football uh, games reflected that. Yeah, and I always remember as well, I mean, it did seem like, I'll be, I'll be honest, I've never really been a big football fan. Um, but I do remember seeing, you know, football players and managers on TV shows like Games Master. And you knew that they kind of just lended their name to a certain video game and they'd have to go on and try and play the game and they'd always get absolutely trounced by some like nine-year-old kid out of the audience. It'd it? be some big bloke in a donkey jacket or something like, <laughs> with a flat cap and and you'd also, you're right, you'd get like Vinnie Jones appeared on yeah. um, Games Master. You had a lot of video game legends and Gazza, I think Gazza put his name to every football game under the sun but never actually played any of them. So it's going to be a really interesting interview this one. 
And what I like about kickoff is, I mean, I mentioned this in the interview as well. I, mean, I don't know if you're into football games at all, Joe, and I, I know you're not a big fan. Uh, no, I, I know nothing about football. Yeah. <laughs> but, but even video games, I mean, you know, my little nephew's into FIFA. Yeah. And when I go there, he'll put the Xbox controller in my hand and suddenly I, I kind of feel like my grandma probably did when I gave her a Mega Drive pad. Yeah, years ago. A, a couple of years ago, you know, I was at a friend's house uh, before a night out and we're like, oh, let's play some PlayStation. He's like, let's play FIFA. And I was like... Right, okay, it was like FIFA 2016 or something. I was like, okay, I am the video game. I play video games. I am I am one with the video game. And he beat me like 46 nil or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I literally had no idea what, like, I just couldn't control it at all. I was like, well, what, there, there, what there is was happening a di- here? There was a diversity of games back then. So there was like yeah. Sensible World of Soccer. There was Kickoff. There was uh, other ones going on. But then later on, there was like International Superstar Soccer Pro, ISS Pro, um, but now it seems to be completely like FIFA just dominating everything. Yeah. So it's good to talk about those early days and what influenced uh, the modern kind of titles. Mm. And kickoff to me, I mean, as someone who, like I said, you know, can't play FIFA at all, I'm like you, Joe, you know, I don't even know what, what, what character I'm controlling on the screen. <laughs> um, but kickoff I could play. And sensible soccer, I can pick that up and I, I could actually enjoy it and get into the game, even though I'm not a football fan. So I think that is testament to what a good game design it was. Mm. And, I mean, we talk about this in the interview as well. There are actually still kickoff tournaments happening around the world to this day, aren't there? Yeah, there's still a fan base doing the kickoff World Cup and they're actually, like, meeting up around the world, having tournaments and uh, medals and everything, and they're not playing, like, the modern version. They're playing the original, you know, or kickoff too. They're loading it up, getting their joysticks out, and it's just fantastic. So Steve Screech is going to be our special guest. Some inside stories about Anko, one of the most infamous British video games labels from the 80s and 90s, and the story of Kickoff. So he's coming up on the show in just a bit. Before that, let's give a huge thank you to this week's amazing supporter, our very good friends at the wonderful Retro Gamer magazine that, of course, is brought to you by... Future Publishing, which, you know, has been one of our favourite publishing houses for many years. I remember buying their mags when I was like, you know, 10, 11 years old, really established in Britain and, you know, really the go-to place for video games magazines. And of course, right now, they're celebrating the dawn of a new generation of consoles. Maybe you've been desperately trying to get your hands on a PlayStation 5 or an Xbox Series X over the last couple of weeks. I've seen so many people unboxing them on Facebook and get ridiculously jealous. I didn't order one. But at the moment, they're also catering for those of us who like to look back as well and remember the classic systems. So right now, if you subscribe, you can save up to 95% and get three issues of your favourite future publishing video games magazine for just one pound. That's crazy. I've actually done it myself. Don't tell them. (laughs) You know what I love about it as well? It's physical media. So if your wife or your missus is nagging at you for being on your phone too much... Get one of these magazines, because then she can't moan at you, because you're reading. You're I, not being scrolling through videos darling. and stuff. You're being intellectual. <laughs> you're reading physical media. And sometimes it's just nice to have a magazine, isn't it? You know where I like to read Retro Gamer? Yeah. I like to do it like on the weekend. I'll pour myself a nice steamy bath. I'll go and then just have like an hour in there and read it cover to cover. Nice. I, it's just great. bit of escapism. It's wonderful. I've, I've so, actually um, ordered Edge. Uh, because yeah. there's a choice here. So you've got Edge, official PlayStation magazine, PC Gamer or Retro Gamer. So actually, I've got enough retro news. I, I kind of research it a lot. So I want to find out about the new console. So I've gone for Edge because mm-hmm. that's nice. always, always really interesting. 
Well, at the moment, they're kind of putting the um, the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox X against each other. So if you know if you want to get to the new generation, you're wondering which one to buy, Edge will help you out on that. And at Retro Gamer this month, I mean, they've got a wonderful eight-page feature talking about Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, and how, you know, that classic game was reinvented for the PlayStation 2 generation. Um, they've also got some stories in here about the making of Grand Prix Simulator 2, uh, Balls 3D, Streets of Rage 2. And, of course, you always get one of my favourite bits of Retro Gamer magazine is when they do a recap on the news from a certain month and a certain year. So this month they're talking about going back to December 2003 when Need for Speed Underground was top of the PlayStation 2 chart and in the music charts, I know a couple of your favourites in here, Joe, the um, the pop idols doing Ooh. their cover of Happy Christmas War is Over. Oh, nice. Bit of Will Young. <laughs> <laughs> and both selectors proper crimbo. Oh, well, oh, well now you're taking me back. <laughs> So you need to claim this exclusive offer right now because we get so many people contacting us months down the line going, oh, is that still on? I missed out. Do it right now. What we want you to do is open a new tab in your browser, head to this website, and we apologise if you tried this last week. We, we accidentally got the promo code wrong, but guarantee it is working this week. Magazinesdirect.com forward slash retro hour three four one. So they are the numbers. Magazinesdirect.com forward slash retro hour three four one. And I'll of course put that in our show notes and get three issues of Retro Gamer, official PlayStation magazine, Edge or PC Gamer for just one pound. And of course, help out the podcast by doing it. Right then, this week's news stories. I mean, recently we've talked quite a lot about these kind of recreations of mini consoles. But we appreciate that, you know, not everyone that listens to our show is a console gamer. There are quite a lot of us that are into classic computers as well. And tell us about this new machine that will uh, kind of fulfil your dreams if you want a retro computer on the go, Ravi. Yeah, so you've done a video recently, actually, which was about the um, Raspberry Pi 400, which was the kind of Raspberry Pi in a case. Well, this looks like it's a bit more of a a kind of chunky version with a bit more of a kick. And it's also very sci-fi. This is by the guys called Clockwork. And they made the game shell, which we reported on before, which was a a replacement um, for the kind of Game Boy. But it had a a specialist Raspberry Pi board in there, which is called the Clockwork Pi. So it's an ARM 64-bit quad-core chip. And uh, it's got four gigabytes of memory but also it's in this really cool little form factor which to me it looks like a typewriter yeah kind of mixed with an msx with some weird dials on the side i really like the look of it what's kind of the use of this thing i mean it reminds me a bit of like he said i'm looking at it and i'm thinking early 90s electric typewriter but also it's kind of got that appearance of you know like the luggable era of portable computers a bit like that as well, the kind of look of it, I think. Yeah, they're saying it's for like sysadmins and people that want to kind right. of sit down and just do some coding and stuff, but also look like a really cool cyberpunk. So I reckon this might be like a good hipster device, but also it could be pretty cool for playing your retro games on, I'm sure, with that kind of kick on the mainboard. You can load loads of stuff in there, like probably emulate the Dreamcast or something like that. <laughs> play your Dreamcast games with the dials on the side of it. Yeah, it's it's, it's a really nice little device. And, uh, you know, they're, they're calling it a deck. And I, and I kind of like that idea. It's like a, a cross between a tablet. And uh, it's also got the expansion port on the back, which um, the Raspberry Pi 400 has. So 
it's like an all-in-one because it's got the screen as well. Yeah. So, like, the Raspberry Pi itself, um, you have to get an external monitor. There might be people doing mods of that, but this has, like, a nice little screen in there. So, yeah, I, I just thought this was a nice item. Yeah, and actually, the the thing I really like about this, it's got a real kind of old-school throwback to it as well. The mouse controller is actually, um, let me put this in the, the less offensive way, a, a nipple mouse? Yeah, I think. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. To. <laughs> and also the keyboard. The keyboard looks pretty mechanical. You know, it's yeah. got it's it's raised, and they've got a nice um, section for buttons for gaming. And uh, it's not D pad, but it's it's kind of like a weird little directional thing. And it runs Linux as well. You know, you often get those people who kind of um, skin or, or rice, I believe it's called, and rice in their Linux distros to kind of look really old school so everything's kind of terminal fonts and even like the the music players and everything that kind of run like that i imagine that would look awesome on that screen yeah yeah it, it looks like a really cool thing i might actually get one myself just just because it's running the raspberry pi kind of stuff so i'm sure you could just put um a mibian on there or, or whatever distribution you want you know what i think it would be good for and you often hear about you know there are famous hollywood scriptwriters who do this have like an old computer that's not kind of connected to the internet or very minimally online. So you haven't got you know, your Facebook Messenger popping up and your tweets in the corner of the screen and everything. For someone who just wants to focus on a single task, like you know, sitting down and maybe writing a book or something like that, I think this kind of machine, it looks like you could actually get on with a dedicated job or even programming without loads of distractions. Yeah, and, and having it you know, battery-powered and chargeable, it's like mm. £170, uh, pounds, which is that's, $250. It'd look cool in Starbucks with that as well, Ravi. Oh, totally, yeah. My Amiga laptop would look cooler, but, you know, this, this can be a temporary thing. <laughs> now, let's talk about this then. A, a nice little article here on a creativeboom.com uh, talking about a look at Atari's role in graphic design in arcade machines. Yeah, so um, it looks like a really interesting book. It's talking about the kind of graphic design, and we've talked about, you know, banners, that have been uh, marquee banners that have been on video games. But there's a lot of different aspects as well, like rules. Um, one of the famous ones was the Pong machine, where it was, it was very simple rules, just like insert quarter, yeah, move paddle. I, I can't remember it exactly, but it was just beautifully put, um, the way that you could actually, you know, use that arcade. And there's stuff like Marble Madness as well, if you remember that. It had the the spinning ball on it, and there was a lot of innovation. And uh, you look at the original Pong machine as well, and uh, essentially the innards, it's, it's, it's like a domestic television, uh, a baking tray, and they still made it look like something from outer space, really. So this book is kind of a, a celebration of those Atari cabinets, and it's specifically focusing on Atari, but also we've got our friends at uh, Arcade Dreams that will be um, focusing on Sega as well. And, mm. you know, I think it's really interesting to look at the graphic design and and some of the sides that were on these cabinets as well. They look absolutely fantastic. And the, the drawing, you know, it was, it was all about attracting people, wasn't it? Yeah, because I guess, you know, you had these cabinets in a busy arcade and without going over and like looking at the screen of each game, the only way they could really stand out is by having this really eye-catching design on the cabinet. Yeah, and often it was like a comic that looked nothing like the yeah. actual <laughs> game that you were playing, but it kind of added to that. And uh, 
gave your imagination a little few extra hints. You know, looking through this article as well, and I, th- I think you made a really good point there about Atari's kind of h- how different their cabinets all were. And the fact that some of them, I mean, I'm looking again at the picture of the original Pong machine, and it's so minimal. I mean, it's just yellow with the words Pong written on top in black text. And that's it. But there is something about the way they've kind of got like a, you know, a cutout for the, the CRT and it's kind of recessed back a little bit. Just something about that that makes it look quite mysterious. Like, what's that about? Yeah. And it kind of draws you in. And if you look next to it, there's a pinball machine. And you'd think at the time, pinball machines were all, they were very like fruit machines. They had lots yeah. of lights, lots of noise, lots of wow, 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 wow. And this looks like something completely different. And it's that, it is that kind of futuristic design, you know, and uh, I think that's what really attracted people. And without that, maybe people wouldn't have found Pong that interesting and they wouldn't have been drawn to it, you know. I don't know if you remember the, you know, the kind of the cheaper version of many arcades that kind of came around probably like late 80s to mid 90s. I remember like some of my local seaside arcades had them where they kind of had the marquees and they're all kind of the same, whether it was just like the arcade, the arcades that came into a certain branch of amusements, you know, they, they kind of rebadged them all. The jammer ones. The jammer ones. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And, and they didn't look, I mean, the because they all looked identical. It just didn't draw you in as much, I don't think. Yeah, and then they went the other way because they had stuff like House of the Dead and Time Crisis and, you know, real machines that were just totally that that identity and they, they really got into that again. So, And I think this is still the case with arcade machines. You know, um, I saw the... I went to one of these play to kind of uh, win places, you know, where you win tickets, All the tickets. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and they had the Star Wars one and it looked exactly like the old... Star Wars arcade, but it was a new machine. But you know, that's that's in people's memories. We don't have to print the instructions of Pong on the cabinets anymore these days. Though. I don't know. No, I'm no. a bit simple-minded. <laughs> <laughs> well, this book's called um, Atari Designs: Impressions on Coin-Operated Video Game Machines. Well, the other day you sent me the most amazing link, and it's something so simplistic, but I watched it with a bigger smile on my face. This guy has booted a classic PC from a vinyl record yeah this is kind of crazy and you know i've seen this video absolutely everywhere and i thought why has somebody not done this before that was my first thought (laughs) when you sent this over like i was like there's so many record enthusiasts out there and computer enthusiasts and they kind of you know similar you tend to find i mean i know you boys straight away you know you both love records you know music and you both love computers why is why has this never happened before (laughs) Yeah, because you see a lot of people, they have the, like, C64 games, Spectrum games on on an MP3, and they mm. just play it off their phone. You know, so it's obviously just that audio data signal um, that's coming out of it. But what this guy's managed to do is he's got a vinyl cutter, so I don't know if he's got a whole dub plate factory or this is a kind of one of these ones that you get at home. And he's made this dub plate... Um, which already sounds mad that you've got a dub plate for a computer, but he's made this dub plate of a, a DOS boot disk, so 64 kilobits, and uh, <laughs> that plays at 45 um, revs per minute at, at the speed RPM. And he connects his PC and then <laughs> just like fires it up and it actually loads, which is really interesting. I, w- I thought that would have been really cool if you could get video games on vinyl back in the days. But imagine if you got a scratch on your favourite level. I mean, looking at this, technologically, there's nothing impressive about it, really. Because, I mean, that's how video games loaded off cassette. It was just audio 
on a cassette tape. And like you said, you know, people do that today with MP3s on the phone, plugging it into a Spectrum or something, and they can load the old games. And even when you did dial-up internet, it was, you know, these kind of audio tones over the phone line. But seeing him put like a 10-inch record with DOS boot disk, 64K, 45 RPM onto a turntable and then seeing the PC boot up and hearing that, you know, that sound that actually, that sounds a horrible sound in this article on Hacker Day. I actually love that sound if you're an old, like, you know, data being loaded from media. Um, but it's just cool when you see that kind of, the free DOS screen pop up on his PC. Yeah, it's quite nice. I remember Retro Man Cave did a video, um, RMC, uh, a few years ago uh, where he'd actually found us Commodore 64 vinyl that had mm. some stuff in there and he, and he somehow loaded it from there, which is really interesting. So it has happened before, but um, yeah, I just, I, I love the aesthetic. It's like two, the marriage of two of our favourite technologies. <laughs> and I love the title on Hackaday as well. Booting a PC from vinyl for a warmer, richer operating system. Very nice. Now, Capcom obviously have been uh, on a bit of a roll at the moment and there's actually a new arcade that's coming out. It seems like there's so many mini arcades all coming out in time for Christmas. But this one, if you're a fan of Street Fighter and Mega Man, this is quite an unusual looking mini arcade that's actually like uh, the Blue Bomber's helmet they're describing it as here on this article. Yeah, I'm, I'm torn with this one. Like, it looks very retro. Like, for a retro arcade, you know, like desktop arcade, obviously we've seen quite a few of them recently from... Um, from uh, SNK and stuff like that, but this is pretty cool because, like you say, it's 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 based on Mega Man. Essentially, it looks yeah. like Mega Man's helmet, sort of, and then it's got like obviously it isn't a CRT TV, but it looks kind of like a CRT TV on the mini. It's got a big back on it, hasn't it's it? got a nice big back on it, and it's got the yellow paneling on the side, and it's all nice and blue. So it does look pretty cool. If I have, if I was gonna, you know, splash the cash on one of these. This could be the one I go for because just simply because I'm a big fan of Street Fighter and Mega Man. Um, so so far we've not actually got an official release or official name for it because Capcom haven't announced it. But it's appeared on the Japanese Amazon Marketplace and it's saying it's available from December first, 2020. So from next Tuesday. Um, right. Now it, it's quite big. It's it's 13 inches by 11 inches with an eight inch screen. Um, and it weighs five pounds. So it's actually a little bit bigger than like what we're used to. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, all these mini arcades that have been coming out recently. Yeah, are like so, probably about six to seven inches. Yeah, big, exactly. So obviously it's still a mini arcade, but it's a little bit bigger. It's got a bit of weight to it. It's quite expensive in my opinion. It's listed at 21,000 yen, which is roughly $210. Um, so I don't know what that's going to be, but about 190 pounds or something like that, if we can get it in the UK. And it does just come with... Pretty much it comes with one, two, three, four, five Mega Man games. So we've got Mega Man Power Battle, Mega Man 2, The Power Fighters, never played that one, Mega Man X, Mega Man Soccer, and Mega Man and Base. And what is Mega Man Soccer? I don't think I've ever heard I've of that. I've played Mega Man. It's, it, it is literally what it sounds like. It's just Mega Man in soccer, and you play as the Robot <laughs> wow. Masters as well. Um, it was a Super Nintendo game. And then you've got the Street Fighter series games. You've got Street Fighter 2, Street Fighter 2 Champion Edition, Super Street Fighter 2, Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo and Super Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo. So mix it up a little bit with the Puzzle Fighter there. So we've got 10 games on this. I don't know whether the price tag warrants that. Like, it's mm. cool. We've got the CRT-looking TV. We've got the cool Mega Man helmet-looking colours and everything. And it's Capcom. We all love Capcom. That's a lot of money for a lot of games which have been re-released a lot of times. Do you know you what know, I mean? 
I think this looks gorgeous, though. To me, yeah. it looks it looks like something from Space Odyssey 2001 or, or, it, or Clockwork Orange. It you know? does it's look... It's got that kind of um, it, it beautiful look. It does look really, really, really retro. It does look very beautiful. It looks very 70s, doesn't it? Yeah, it could be a, a George Foreman grill as well. It's like got so many different uh, aspects. There's the mod. <laughs> so, yeah, so we'll we'll see what it's saying when it's actually out and some people get their hands on it and stuff, but... You know, people get doom running on it and stuff like that. But <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting to see if you can get it. Because like I say, so far it's only been listed in Japan. So it's unclear whether it's going to be available anywhere else. But it's it's still very interesting. And, you know, when I saw it was announced, the Capcom last year, or was it the year before, they released the giant Capcom arcade stick, which had all the built-in games. And that's very mm. unaffordable. That's like 200 pounds, 250 quid. So I thought this would be like a nice little affordable one you know, thinking it would be like 60, 70 pounds or something. Um, but yeah, $210, still quite quite high for me. There are some interesting inclusions there as well. Super Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo. Mm. <laughs> I mean, that on there, because that, was that like a kind of, kind of a columns or a Tetris kind of thing? Yeah, it it's, with? I forget the actual, yeah. I want to say it's Pua Pua, but I think that's, that's mm. not the actual name of it. But essentially it's, it's a Japanese arcade game, Japanese game, similar to Tetris. Which is, match the tile kind of thing. Yeah, where you match the tiles, you match like mm. the coloured gem tile kind of things. Um, and then you've literally just got like the, the Street Fighter characters at the bottom, but they're like chibi style, like, you know, like the kid kid style with like the big heads and big fists. And mm. as they fight each other as you play the puzzle game. So like as you clear blocks, because it's like you're, it's always an opponent. You're not doing it on your own. You're against the computer or against a friend well i'm guessing with this because it's only got one stick i mean you're going to always be playing against a computer i guess yeah that's a good point and it doesn't say on mm. there if there's you know a usb port for another controller or whether we're going to be able to hook this up to our tv or anything like that so i would assume you know because we've not got an official any official details on there i'd like to think at that price tag there might be and from the pictures we can see the there is something on the front, but it looks like a cigarette car lighter. There's there's a H, <laughs> HDMI port on the back. I've just seen okay. If you can zoom into one. Oh, of nice! Ravi's got it. <laughs> there's a headphone out yeah. as well, but I don't know if there's a USB. Maybe hidden on the side or or underneath would be awful, wouldn't it? If oh I... god, yeah. Imagine. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking as well. So, I mean, that actually is is a big flaw to this, I think, because you know, especially those games like Street Fighter. Yeah, they're so much better with another real person. In yeah, the room, exactly. Like, and you know, Mega Man Soccer is an absolute classic. Mm. <laughs> you want to play with your there, friends? There is a little square <laughs> on the right that kind of looks like bevel or something so maybe that's where they've hidden hidden the usb underneath a little flap or something so uh, i'm an interesting looking thing I, I think you know it does look like it's very geared towards the japanese market mm. you know they, they, they kind of bring out these more novelty products over there a lot of the time but i'm, I'm sure people will start to get reviews up on youtube um, it's very cute soon, they love that. cute don't they <laughs> Hey, that's why Joe was so popular when he went out there. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Not the fact that I weigh like 18 stone and I'm six foot one. <laughs> oh, cute. Cute. <laughs> cute. Well, there was a little challenge you put out last week, Joe, and um, we've had so many tweets about this this week. Do you remember on last week's show you were like, oh, someone needs to get Doom running on the Nintendo Game & Watch? I didn't think it'd be this quick. Like Next day. The next day. The <laughs> next day. So this, this is really, really awesome. So uh, this comes from a YouTuber called stack smashing um who, who's made this who's got doom running on there he's got doom chocolate running on there from what i understand i've watched this fascinating video which we'll put down in the show notes it's only about five minutes long very very beyond me but to put it into simple terms he has had to strip this back quite a bit because there's only 
one megabyte. Wait, what? What is it? One megabyte of a uh, storage it's on a, a flash storage. Yeah, one point three. One point three storage. Yeah. But Doom Chocolate is is eight megabytes big. So essentially, he's wow. removed all the textures, everything. So you've got you've got your sprites, and you can shoot them and stuff like that. But the actual map itself, your wall textures and stuff, pretty much don't exist. Well, but he's got it running. <laughs> It seems the way that he got it going was there's a, a board called an STM32F429, mm. which um, is the similar hardware to what's actually being used mm. in the Game & Watch. So he got Doom running on there, and then he realised, right, it requires a lot more RAM, like you said. So it's Chocolate Doom, which is a modified version, but Doom runs on WAD files, WAD. Uh, you may remember those. And... That Doom 1 is about 4 meg and he needed to get that down to like 1.1 of flash uh, mm. so he took all the sprites, all the textures out, so it's literally like running like trash um, yeah. there's, <laughs> there's a kind of little overlay where he's managed to overlay the gun on there uh, and the enemies but you know it's it's very slow but these things aren't designed to be slow it's just a proof of concept isn't it look i've got doom running on it there you go no yeah. one's gonna get a game and watch to play doom <laughs> but i think it's an impressive thing that he's managed to do this rewrote it strip out the textures and got it running it's that quickly you know it's crazy now, something else equally as impressive, it's um, possible to play your PlayStation 5, or this is actually a bit of a clickbaity headline. You can play any console via a Game Boy Micro, um, if you don't mind playing it on a tidy screen with a, a low resolution. Can you imagine hooking that around with you in the back of the car on your Game Boy Micro and you've got your PS5 running at the side of you? But yeah, <laughs> with, a, with, with a massive lead. Well. Yeah, on a car battery. <laughs> but I mean, this is really cool. Um, straight away, really cool that uh, Retro Futures managed to get a hold of a PS5. But yeah, this comes from Elliot from the Retro Futures. Good friends of ours. He's friends with Ravi. Um, very therapeutic videos. We've had him on the show before. But this is... This is really cool. He's got the PS5 running on the Game Boy Advance Micro. Um, I keep saying this every week. You know, I'm a simple-minded person. I find this really fascinating. But this one's not quite as complicated as the uh, Doom running on the uh, on the Game & Watch there. Yeah, this is interesting. It's um, by the Retro Future, Elliot. And, uh, you know, he's been on the show. Fantastic YouTuber. And what he kind of specialises in is getting these crazy little adapters and devices for... Or the Game Boy, he did an MP3 player on one recently, which was really good fun. Uh, well, this is for the Game Boy Micro. And what it is, is it's a little adapter, basically, that you can put signals in there, like a composite video signal. And right. he's then running the PS5 through the Game Boy Advance. But I've been thinking about this, actually. You could probably do that with the um, Game Gear and the original TV adapter, if you remember that thing. Yeah. Did that thing have composite inputs? And I, I know it was RF. Yeah, it, it did. Aerial. But also, right. also, why not RF? Like, there's no TV yeah. TVs being transmitted at the moment uh, on RF anymore. So you could probably get a tiny little transmitter just locally and <laughs> and transmit across your living room. So, uh, you know, Joe wouldn't need to have his PlayStation 5 in a backpack or connected up to play it on his, <laughs> <laughs> on his Game Boy. He could, he could have it in a separate room and then walk around the house and kind of 
Oh, I've lost my signal. <laughs> How retro would that be like for Christmas or something? Me and Ravi, we play against each other on a bit of Call of Duty on the PS5. I'm on the Game Gear. He's on the Game Boy Advance. <laughs> Both and we'll live stream it. <laughs> Both squinting because our, our eyes have gone terrible. Well, it's interesting. In this kind of theory, you could do it on tons of devices. I'm sure there was loads of like TV adapters and... And even if it doesn't have an input, maybe you can just rip it apart and do some solder magic and, and find one, you know. I, I just imagine someone who's like, you know, 65-inch 8K TV breaks over Christmas or something. They're like, I need a way to play my PlayStation 5. <laughs> Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Have I got that Game Gear in the attic? <laughs> now, I'm with you, though, Ravi. I think I, I do love these kind of, you know, again, it's a proof of concept. No one's going to play it that way, realistically. Um, but, yeah, it, it is awesome. And I, I was actually... I saw a friend of mine on Facebook the other day. He got a Raspberry Pi, um, one of the Raspberry Pi 4s, one of the ones with the um, the analog output, and he'd hooked it up to a CRT TV that he's got in his kitchen. So and he was playing, like, old TV shows off YouTube on it. So really it looked like you were watching, like, you know, Games Master on the telly that you would have had back in, like, 1996. Well, again. that's a nice idea. And also yeah. what you can do with one of those old telly is, is get a Raspberry Pi get teletext on that and then plug yeah. it in and when you press the button <laughs> and you can fully live in the past i know what you're thinking rav you're going to start a pirate tv channel aren't you putting all this out that's it yeah i'm, I'm gonna transmit <laughs> all your youtube videos <laughs> so, to the when, nation. when i'm in prison when i'm in jail this time next week you know why <laughs> yeah that's it danwood tv <laughs> <laughs> So if you want to check out that story and everything else we talked about, they'll all be in our show notes at theretrohour.com. Now, before we talk about old school footy games with this week's guest, Steve Screech, he's coming up in just a minute. Let's give a huge thank you to our amazing mates at Harry's. Now, of course, this is our last show of November. Everyone's thinking about Christmas presents for your friends and family right now, but what about treating yourself? to a nice Christmas present. Now, we want you to have a look at this. Have a look at this website, harrys.com forward slash retro and start shaving with Harry's. I mean, all three of us here have used Harry's now for quite a while. And I think, you know, we all unanimously agree it is by far the most comfortable shave that we've ever had. Oh, it's amazing. And like, you know, you've got to get in gear for Christmas. <laughs> and yeah. You're going to be seeing people after a long time need to get that, allowed out. Get that caveman beard <laughs> shaved off. So Jeff and Andy, they're the guys that started Harry's and they are two ordinary guys who just got fed up with overpriced razors and they started Harry's on a big mission. They wanted to fix shaving and they knew the only way they could do that and keep that really high quality they were aiming for is by buying their own factory. And they've been making blades for over 100 years now and they've just released their sharpest ever blades with a new lubricating strip and even closer, more comfortable shave guaranteed. And the best bit is they haven't raised the prices. So replacement blades are still as little as 175 each. So we want you to give Harry's a go and start your subscription with a trial set. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle, their new five-blade razor cartridge, a rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover, if you are going to be travelling over Christmas, to protect your blades on the move. And of course, it goes without saying... Support our sponsors, help out the podcast, and give it a try. I'm sure you'll be impressed. Get the comfortable shave you deserve by heading to harrys.com forward slash retro to claim a trial set for just three ninety five. Now, of course, we've got a patron running at the moment as well. Um, patron vlog we released this week. We're going to be recording the next episode of our patrons' exclusive podcast, The Retro Hour After Hours, this week too. 
It's all going off. Yeah, I've got, I've got some questions ready for you, Dan, and it's going to be interesting. Oh, no one wants to hear the one with me. Can't we just skip this? One? <laughs> I just no, want to. No. I just want to get some funny stories out of Dan about like you know how his Facebook got deleted a couple of years ago and how he lost his original channel and stuff like that, just for really really funny reasons, which I know the answers to. But I want the uh, I want our patrons to hear it as well. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that that was a bit of a tragedy, all because of one certain eighties TV show. Shh, don't give it, give it away. It don't give it away. I won't give it away to little teaser. was <laughs> 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 like, whoa, okay, I need to listen to this. So uh, yeah, I mean, we do do loads of stuff on Patreon at the moment. You get an exclusive patrons only podcast that we put out about twice a month. We do our patrons hang out. Another one of those coming up this weekend on Sunday evening. You can join us for that. Nerd out about retro video games and all sorts of topics. We talk about classic movies and just, to, you know, kick back, let our hair down, have a bit of fun. And of course, for backing us on Patreon, you'll be ensuring the future of this podcast. You sometimes get the show a bit early, you get it ad-free, and of course you're helping us out by doing it as well. The running costs of the show are all taken care of by our patrons. And of course you'll get a mention in a future episode on the very prestigious Retro Hour Hall of Fame. Like this week, thank you to... Solifisk, Paul Bullard, Alex Solman, Charlie Preston, James Featherstone, and Enio Salusi, who all made donations into the running of the show. Thank you so much. We massively appreciate that. And if you'd like to do the same, you'll find it on our website at theretrohour.com. Now, we've actually only got one normal as normal as this show is, episode left for you this year. Next week, we're going to have an amazing guest. On week after that, going to be a little best of look back at the best in retro of 2020. And then it's going to be the Retro Hour annual Christmas super quiz. Oh no, my most humiliating experience. <laughs> Year, yearly humiliation. I don't, I don't know, Ravi. I'm, I'm on my own this year and I know nothing about the 70s or computers. So we'll, we'll bring, see how bring it goes on that down. Amiga round. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Now, I, th- I figure we'd do it a bit different this year. It's all going to be 60s questions. Oh, 60s what? <laughs> Mainframes. And... <laughs> but this year, yeah, I mean, it's going to be, because we can't all get together in our studio, it is essentially every man for himself this year, isn't it? Yeah, separate and we've teams, got a... yeah. And uh, yeah. so it's going to be interesting. Uh, we're going to have um, Neil RMC joining us uh, from uh, his channel, Fan- absolutely fantastic friend of the show. And we're going to have Paul Jury from Retro Gamer joining us as well. Yeah, so this is going to be a good one. That's coming up in a couple of weeks' time. But right now, let's talk about classic footy video games. The inside story on the amazing Anko from back in the day with this week's special guest. Steve Screech is next on the Retro Hour podcast. You're listening to the Retro Hour podcast, and it's time to welcome on this week's very special guest. Now, we're going to be talking about some of the most infamous football games in video game history and one of the most incredible companies from back in the day, Anko, as well. It's going to be great to get some inside stories from there with this week's special guest. Welcome to the show, Steve Screech. How are you, Steve? Yeah, I'm all right, mate. Yeah, keep them busy, keep them busy. Fantastic. Well, I mean, before we get into all that, we always like to kind of, you know, set things up and kind of get a bit of your background. I mean, do you remember what kind of got you into the the crazy world of computers and video games to begin with? Um, yeah, okay. So um, one day my parents, they were, they were heading out and they thought, well, we better have someone to look after you. So they dropped me around at my uncle's place and um, he had just got himself uh, a Spectrum. And he wanted to watch the rugby or something like that, which is which is an odd pursuit anyway. But um, uh, so he left me with uh, the Spectrum on, and it had the, just the old Brick Breaker game, you know. 
Uh, and that was it, mate. I was, uh, I was, I was hooked from then. So uh, I went home from that and just badgered my parents to get me a, a Spectrum, and uh, right, you could say I never looked back. So, were you kind of really into football as a kid then? And were you doing stuff like sitting there religiously watching the teletext scores and stuff like that? <laughs> oh well, I mean, I was I was born within sight of the floodlights at Crystal Palace. Um, yeah, I've always kind of been into football. I used to have my own Sabutio leagues with made-up uh, team names and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I've always I've always had a had a football thing. So, well, when you got your Spectrum at home, then I mean, what kind of got you away from just playing games to learning how to program? How did you get into that? It just naturally evolved, I think, because uh, at that time I was getting tons of magazines uh, to try and. Well, learn as much as I could about you know what I could do with the machine, and in those you'd have these listings that you'd uh, you could type out yourself, and they never worked. Uh, well, <laughs> but uh, I think <laughs> I mean half the time, yeah, yeah, it would it would be absolute bollocks. But um, <laughs> it's those mistakes that you make while you're doing it that you you it helps you learn. You know, you just you gotta you gotta kind of error check yourself, and then you just learn what works and what doesn't like that and uh i thought you know what this is this this is kind of fun actually and it was a way of getting free games as well i guess wasn't it well it was i mean the quality was pretty (laughs) naff you know you know just uh a block moving from side to side or something like that it's a bit it's a bit limited but um yeah like it sparks the imagination i guess and then uh yeah i went from there well you also made a game about the music business, which was really kicking off at that time with the kind of stock ache and a waterman and all that <laughs> vibe in the UK. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I did. Um, that that went... <laughs> I actually released that twice. Once on a game that never even realised that I'd released it on it. I, I stuck it on a... I think it was a cricket captain game or something that I did for another company. And uh, I stuck this music business game on there as well, just because f- just for the sheer hell of it, and I wanted to get it out there. But I did have a uh, a release on Micronet or something like that, and they used to. Right. Um, it, it was like yeah, it was online games before there were online games, you know. And you you would download these from Micronet. And I think I sold 57 copies or something like that. Mate, I was rolling in it. Which, which ain't bad for an online game in that era. I mean, <laughs> you must have been on, online very early then. All I, did, I just, uh, I sent it off to a bunch of companies um, hoping to get uh, to get it sold. And, um, and the one company that wanted to take it, they just wanted to put it out online. So, yeah, I think I made 50 six quid or something <laughs> were you going online yourself then did you have like a modem oh and stuff, absolutely but... not no no right. not at that point not at all so you just kind of way too tech for me <laughs> you just kind of got the volumes through the post like oh we've sold this many copies and you just have yeah, to well, kind of trust it <laughs> yeah well i think i think i had one update uh to tell me i'd sold about 57 copies and then, and then i never got another update so I'm, I'm assuming it wasn't flying off the shelves but uh, who knows? I could be a millionaire, and they just uh, they just haven't sent it to me yet. <laughs> well, tell us a bit about this music business game. Then, what was it like? Like a simulator, or what, what, what was um, involved with it? Well, you'd you'd have there were four characters. You'd have a drummer, you'd have a uh, a guitarist, you'd have your singer, and I think it was a keyboard player. Uh, and uh, you, <laughs> you just you just tried to hone songs. Now, obviously, 
it was more of a football manager type thing, and that you would just you just learn basic things. You would learn you'd to improve guitar or and, and this kind of business, and then there'd be a lot of random factors. But you'd be releasing releasing singles and then building those up and releasing albums and. Uh, when you when you played live, there was like a clapometer, and your pla- and your musicians would be animated, uh, but obviously with no no sound or anything like that. There would just be a well, it was a spectrum. You're not really going to get too much sound at all. So a few beeps and boops, but but uh, it was look, it was a fun little game. So. And you were also writing adventure games at the time as well. Uh, yeah, some text, uh, t- text with a bit of animation. I struggled to sell those. They weren't really shifting. weren't graphical enough, I don't think. I mean, we've been covering text adventures quite a bit on the show recently, actually. There seems to be quite an interest in them again at the moment. I mean, what kind of inspired that then? Were you like playing many text adventures yourself then? What well, kind of led you down that path? Well, I think I think when you've got Spectrum early on, that, that's something you're going to be... Uh you're going to be knee, to, knee deep in pretty quick because uh, I mean it suits it suits that machine I guess it was it's it's an easy option to put out a uh, a text adventure game. Well, obviously you're doing these games at home at the time and you're releasing them. You said you had you know the, the game that you sold online um, even back at that early stage. How did doing all this lead to a job with Anko? Um, I put out um, a game called Death Ball. Uh, which sounds very dramatic, but uh, was a kind of a strategy game that I poached the graphics, the character graphics from Lords of Midnight. <laughs> I, uh, nice. <laughs> uh, so, I, yeah, I, I built these characters out of those. And it was a strategy team game where you, you had to move a ball through some corridors and bang it into a hole at the other end or something like that. And, and that was bought by a company called mm, CRL. Uh, who were based over at Stratford Way. And um, someone who was there, who signed that game, he left to join Anko and contact, contacted me and said, uh, do you fancy coming to Anko just to uh, to have a look and see if, you, see if you fancy doing stuff for us? So that's how it all began. Was Anko kind of aiming to make sports games as well because there wasn't really that many established kind of management or even sports games out there like kevin tom's um football manager was sure, was sure. There, wasn't it but, yeah uh, and and you got the match days and stuff like that as well but um no i mean it wasn't a brief that they wanted to do sports games but i'm i'm kind of a sporty guy so as soon as i came in left to my own devices i was going to lean that way uh, and that's what happened i'm quite interested to find out a bit about the company as well because i know you were there quite a long time at anko actually i was there and our, 17 years <laughs> yeah that, that's a long time to be in any job well, isn't yeah, it yeah, especially yeah. in the video games industry yeah it changed uh, <laughs> but but yeah, i mean I, I used to see the anko logo you know on cassette tape games i used to get as a kid and you always had these visions of like you know these massive glamorous companies i mean <laughs> they were a big company in the industry at the time i mean tell us a bit about anko and what it was like working there um well okay so when i joined there they'd uh, i think they'd only recently changed from being anirog to anko and anirog was short for Anil and rogers company and then i think roger died and so it was anko so Anil's company uh and they were based they were based in a house in Dartford and down the road from the house they had a, they had a shop as well and and that was the 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 Anko setup and it was all run by Anil Gupta who was a, a just a, a lovely guy a lovely guy um, 
a bit uh, eccentric at times, but uh, nah, a, a wonderful guy and who who died in 2002, I think, mm. uh, on my birthday. Uh, right. Yeah, and uh, that's that's the day Anko finished. Because, I mean, you make it sound like, um, and, and I guess the industry was at the time in Britain, it was a, a bit of a kind of a small kind of cottage industry, you know, like that, that image I had about, you know, you probably had like, in my, in my mind, you had like a, a rooftop office in the middle of London with like a jacuzzi and all that. I mean, I, I guess it probably wasn't as rock and roll as I had it made out of my mind then. <laughs> well, I, I'm sure there were some places that were like that. I'm sure Ocean or uh, Imagine mm. or any on, uh, rural ways. Uh, uh, far sexier, but uh, no, Anko. It was um, it was just a regular house, really, that had just been um, just been used for uh, you know to to house a software company. You know, we had oh. we had p- a packing area downstairs that was just full of cardboard boxes, and um, uh, animals' dogs would be running through the place, and uh, coding would happen uh, in a back room, and uh, yeah, it was it was just pretty rough, really. But um, he didn't mind it. He didn't mind it at all. And then uh, from there, the the actual business side of it moved to like a prefab building, uh, which wasn't too far away. And then then left the house just for coders to work in, uh, coders and artists. But um, yeah, we we would end up playing uh, some kind of murder ball game in there when no one was looking with... uh, with a sponge ball and um, lights were getting smashed and stuff it like that, but uh, uh, it was it was good times and um, you know we got the work done. So were you doing like long hours then? Was it were you kind of in there a lot of the time, or was it kind of a more of a nine to five kind of regime? What, what uh, no, the, the one one thing I was told um, by Anil when I came in, he said, um, "Right, this this industry it is not a nine to five industry. You know, you don't work like that really." I have to say that. Working at Anko has been the best grounding I could possibly have for being in uh, being in the games industry because we worked harder there than I've ever worked at any other company, and so everything else has been a breeze since Anko. Uh, we used to do twenty four, you know, thirty six hour stints uh, uh, to get stuff finished at times, and we always went the extra mile. And I've never minded doing it, you know, since because of that. Did um, Anko have like a relationship with Commodore or, or Spectrum at all or any of the big computer companies? And did anybody come down and visit and kind of give you hardware and stuff? Ah, oh, absolutely not. No. <laughs> um, you know, we, we would have visitors from time to time. But uh, for instance, uh, Sir Alex Ferguson's son came to visit us one time because we were doing mm. a, a deal with uh, to do an Alex Ferguson game. And um Anil didn't even know who the guy was. Um, <laughs> so there's uh, Alex, one of Alex Ferguson's. Um, I can't remember. It might be Jason Ferguson or something like that. I can't remember. But um, And he's sitting opposite Anil. And Anil's dog is rubbing all, all up against this guy's suit. And he's got an expensive suit on. It's just covered in white hair. Um, <laughs> and when the guy left, I said, you do know who that was then? Uh, and he didn't put two and two together. This was Alex Ferguson's son. I've been talking about, you know, your early stuff that you worked on at Anko. Um, So International Events, was that the first title that you worked on there? Oh, you have been doing your homework. (laughs) We we had a little look online. (laughs) Um, Okay, so initially, Anna wanted to do sort of like a decathlon type thing, but doing sports that hadn't been done before. So 
could I come up with some ideas for that and and do some graphics for that? So, so I think he used to use me as just an ideas guy. Um, so we mucked around with that and um, without really starting anything. I think I was ju- I was just going to do some graphics for it and then and he was going to get a, a coder. I think to um, uh, to take it on further, but um, it never really got beyond um, just a. I don't know, an ideas phase, really. You also kind of, um, Anko released some pretty interesting titles, like uh, Strip Poker. Oh, of <laughs> and, course, yeah. yeah. And uh, stuff like Snooker and, and kind of like Fruit Machine kind of base games as well. Um, yeah, we're, we're, they did. Uh, I, actually, I think Dino did the Fruit Machine game. Ah, okay. Um, and the Strip Poker games, oh my God. My lord, I was asked if I would uh, model for one of the uh, the male strip poker discs, and, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 along with uh, along with Eddie Kid, um, and uh, bollocks to that. I'm not doing that. That that it, that's going to come back and haunt you forever. Even that kind of eight bit rendition. Even that. I mean, that's going to do nothing, is it? I mean, really, you're never going to look good. So, I mean, with all these kind of games going on at Anko, I mean, so tell us about when you realised that you wanted to make a football game then. What kind of inspired you to have a go at doing it? Um, well, actually, the, the story is I went away on holiday with my parents um, because it was, the, I think it was their silver anniversary or something like that. And they said, oh, uh, why don't you and your sister, uh, we'll all go together and we'll go to Ibiza. Of all places, they wanted to go to Ibiza, but it, it wasn't like a rave central place back then. So, um, and that was in, let me think, that was in October, I guess, October in 87. It was uh, It was at the time they had the, the hurricane hit um, uh, the UK. So I was there and I saw this football game in the lobby and I thought, oh. I need to. I need to be part of a football game, really. We, we, Anko needs to put out some kind of football game. So, I just came up with a plan. I, I came up with a title and an idea for the game. And I came. And when I came back off holiday, uh, I went into the office with Anna and said, "I've been thinking, mate. You know, all this international games and all that. Uh, we should do a whole series of sports games. I mean, proper sports games. You know, kick off, uh, bails off, um, tip off." Um, Puck off, I think we were going to do as well. Uh, but that that turned out as face off, and and that's where it started. He he, he liked the idea of that, and then uh, then we started to run with it. Were there any other games that you were like fan of at the time, football games? But also, like, did you see the potential for sponsorship of games, or you know, having players and people's names against the games as well? Well, I was a fan of the match day games. Okay, so the John Rittman, yeah, match day games. They they were my my favourite football games. Um, and no, we saw no potential whatsoever for any kind of sponsorship at that point. Um, it was way way too early on for that. And uh, I was just concerned with just getting a football game out or or being part of um, a football game because that that to me at that point was just a dream come true to be able to do that. I remember playing, um, I think it was international soccer on the Commodore 64, the cartridge that came with it. And that was the first ever football game that I played. But, you know, even then you could see it and, you know, it was a game of football and there was definitely potential there and it was still great fun. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and the 
And I mean, that is a game that I, I did play occasionally, but I, I didn't have a, uh, a Commodore. So, mm. but um, no, it was all down to match day for me, just uh, trying to score perfect goals and, and, and stuff like that. It was, uh, oh, so to be, to be part of a football game was just, come on, let's do this. Well, I mean, you mentioned face-off before as well, That was the ice hockey game. Yeah. Was that kind of the first one that you did then? How did, how did it go kind of chronologically? Yeah, it was, because Anil wanted to, to get someone in to do the football game. And he said, well, you know, you can, you can do, the, uh, you do the ice hockey game. Um, and like, I was happy with that. I'd, I'd, um, I was still uh, not exactly seasoned as a developer, but I was, I was more of an artist, so... So yeah, so I, I kind of cut my teeth, I guess, at Anko on the on the ice hockey game, and it was a it was fun enough, uh, but it was quite quite limited. How did you go about designing that game then? I didn't know a hell of a lot about ice hockey, so I just did football on a white background, really, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with tiny goals. You know, I, I, I knew what I wanted, and um, I, I just wanted kind of a, a manic. Uh, a manic action, slapping the ball around, trying to get into the back of the net type thing. So, um, but it, it didn't have it didn't have any of the dynamism that um, that Dino brought to kick off. That's for sure. And I think probably in the UK there were a lot of people at, at that time that didn't know much about ice hockey. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, but I mean, uh, I then put out a uh, a basketball game, and I, I knew bugger all about basketball really either. So uh, uh, I just applied the same thing. It's like football and uh, with high goals and running around on wood this time. Well, how did you get to start work on the legendary kickoff series? Well, like I said, um, I, I was doing the the ice hockey, and and Anil said, uh, "I've got this guy who who's going to do the football game for us," and and, and that was Dino, and and Dino had put out a couple of um, other games for Anko. Like I said, I think he, I think he, if memory serves me, he did. He, I think he did the, the slot game. I think, yeah, I think he did that. And uh, so, would I do the graphics for for kickoff, and then I would, I was. Uh, I guess I was sanity checking it, um, uh, the kickoff idea, and um, I would I would go round to Dino's house. Uh, we would work on it together like that at times. Um, I mean, that's how it came about. Because Dino he obviously left, didn't he? And um, did you take over full time then? And did did he kind of give you any guidance after that? Or had he kind of moved on? What what kind of happened in that transition? Oh my days! Uh, I mean, that that is just a that's a podcast all on its own. <laughs> Okay, so uh, I this one's a difficult one to explain, and um, there was uh, An- Anko and Dino stopped seeing eye to eye. Now, I'm not a hundred percent sure why that was, but I was left to pick up the pieces and take over from uh, Dino as regards to kickoff three, I guess as it, it, it was at the time, and. It was it was definitely an in at the deep end um, type situation, and it it was quite an acrimonious uh, time because Dino didn't leave leave with um, well it it didn't go easily anyway let, let's put that and he was I think he was dying to go at the end and and, and he went to Virgin to do goal I think did did he have any input afterwards or was it just oh like... absolutely not no there was no transition period out or anything like that I mean he was just gone. And, you know, I I was sent out to Japan um, in the early 90s to help with uh, 
conversion work um, that was being done on the, let me think, Super Nintendo of the kickoff games. And I don't think that sat too well with Dino either, that it was me out there and not him. But as, as far as I, I was, well, I've been told anyway that um, Dino's demands for going out to Japan were just too too high he would only travel first class and he wanted to take his girlfriend and and her son with him uh, and all this kind of business whereas at the end i think Annal said well bollocks that i'm going to send steve instead um and and yeah i don't think that sat very well with dino and and i was also i was also more of the public face of kickoff actually so i would always be the one that was out at the magazines uh and doing the press and I think that that bugged Dino as well. It, it does sound like you were put in a slightly awkward position there as well, I guess, because, I mean, obviously that game must have been a big cash cow for Anko at the time. And, you know, Dino not working on the next game, that must have been a lot of pressure on you as well, because, you know, it, it had such a good reputation then, that game. And did, did you feel like a, a pressure on to deliver with Kickoff 3 without Dino? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, bloody hell. I mean, talk about dropped in the deep end. So, um, but... You just roll with these things, I guess. And, um, I mean, we didn't have a code set to work with because despite what Dean has intimated uh, at times since, I mean, we we didn't use any of the kickoff code whatsoever. So we just had to go from scratch. Rather than just recreate the same thing, we went for a more graphical uh, viewpoint for the, for the kickoff three game. And it was it wasn't the same game at all, and it was more aimed at I don't know a more beautiful console version, I guess. Um, but I, th- I think we'd been influenced, I guess, by games like FIFA that had come out then, and that was isometric, and it looked it looked far more sexy, uh, even if it didn't play that well. So, I mean, that was the brief I think with Kickoff Three. You got to make Kickoff, and you got to make it look nicer. Well. You mentioned uh, the magazines, and uh, uh, famously, I remember Stuart Campbell from Amiga Power um, absolutely hated Kickoff. Uh, was there a bit of a divide uh, between which magazines liked it and, and which magazines liked Sensi? Um, and and uh, and did you have to kind of go around and do convinces with people? I have to say, not at, not at that point. I mean, it happened later in the day. I think with uh, when we were doing the the player manager series and the bias towards um, championship manager. Uh, So that, that was when we were a little bit more at odds with the press at times, but not, not back in the days with when sensible was out. I mean, you chose your horse accordingly. You you know, there there were some people who who preferred Sensi. There were some people who preferred, preferred kickoff. So strangely enough, we, we hardly ever played sensible. Uh, in the office, which is which is bizarre, really. You'd have thought we'd have been all over it, um, but I think we were just happy with kick off the way it was and, and the style of game that it was. So we just, uh, I think we, I think we saw saw it as <laughs> a kind of a Lemmings version of kick off. Mm. Um, so although it was a competitor and stuff like that, I mean, we weren't really too influenced by it. I got to say. So, like, we were presented that it was a bit of an arms race. So it was like kickoff for Sensi, and then they'd add tactics on one, and they'd add, 
you know, being able to have <laughs> substitutes on the other. And, it, and it, it seemed like a bit of an arms race, but um, it sounds like you guys were just kind of doing your thing and Sensi were doing their own. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think this is very similar to the uh, the Blur Oasis time when when okay. the press <laughs> when the press built it all up this war between these two bands, and uh, really, uh, I think they could quite happily coexist. I always remember people saying, "Oh, kickoffs too fast," and and "Oh, Sensi, you can curve the ball," and it was like so many ridiculous <laughs> arguments uh, uh, from the two camps. You know, uh, they both seemed like really fun games. You know. Well, I, I remember a, a while back I got onto a train carriage and uh, there was a guy standing opposite me and he was wearing a Sensi shirt. Uh, and at the time I'd been to uh, one of the kickoff World Cups, so I had a kickoff shirt on and we just, you just, we, we just looked at each other. <laughs> we just looked at each other. We were, we were both, uh, we never we never traded a word. We just like looked knowingly at each other. You know, we'd, we'd picked <laughs> our camps and, and that was it, you know. Well, talking about the magazines as well, that, that kind of interested me because the magazines were so influential back then. Yeah. You know, yeah. before the internet really took over. What was kind of your relationship like with them? And have you got kind of any memorable encounters with magazines? Uh, well, I used to go up and see, oh, let me think, Julian Rignall. Um, I used yeah. to go up there and we used to, he, he would have any excuse to get me up to there so we could just play kickoff. And there, there was a few of them, uh, Gary Penn as well. It was another one. And, um, oh, I mean, I loved it. I mean, what's not to love about being asked up to the offices of a magazine and then, um, just sitting down, talking shop and then just playing, smashing a few games of kickoff. Uh, I've got no problem with that any day of the week. And I found the player manager series really interesting because that was kind of the kickoff engine. But uh, it was well originally that was just going to be one product. It, um, uh, were you just going to have the option of management, or, or would you have playing as well? No, it, it was going to be the whole. The, uh, so kickoff wasn't going to be uh, just a standalone football game. It was going to have a management side around it, but then it got split out into two separate products. It was quite. Interesting, because you mentioned stuff that was in the time, um, like the Bradford Fire and the uh, Heisel Stadium disaster. Uh-huh. And was that kind of like reflecting the realities and trying to make it seem more more realistic? Well, look, I, I would put whatever I could into kickoff that related to me, actually. So uh, and and my passion for say Crystal Palace Football Club. So uh, yeah. I would always be trying to put in as many Crystal Palace references in there as I possibly could. And, and any kind of real football reference I could squeeze in there, uh, I would try and do that. Uh, for instance, the kits in kickoff two, they were the, they were the FA Cup final replay kits uh, from 1990, uh, Palace Man U. But I thought they made a nice contrast rather than just the red and blue. I thought the uh, yellow and black stripes and, and I, I just thought it looked a lot better. I, th- I think, yeah, it reflects the time, but also the just the idea of having a management game. Because if you look at managers now, they're like sacked constantly. But um, you look at the 80s managers and and they were huge, really. They were like huge personalities, quite big guys as well themselves. So a lot of kids wanted to actually actually play as the manager as well which uh i don't i don't know if it's that popular nowadays maybe it still is um i don't know because people people don't do that now um but oh, it, it was the fact that you could manage and play the game as well i think that was just 
that was pretty unique at the time. It's something that uh, I've always toyed with going back to doing. Because you can kind of do that in um, some of the FIFAs now. You've got these kind of career modes and stuff like that. So Yeah, I, I just go sim match, sim match when I get bored of playing. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, just kind of play it like a like a management game. How, how did you get like um, Kevin Keegan <laughs> involved then? And uh, did you actually get to to meet him at all or did oh yeah yeah no any I, approval of the game or? no um uh i can't remember how just like i i, I have no idea how we got sven goran erickson involved and how we got um uh, alex ferguson involved and george graham as well actually we got some pretty big names along the way yeah. but um uh i think it would just be agents chucking their hat in the ring and back then i think it was a lot cheaper to get a uh a name name to do something like that so no so with Keegan we went up there and we visited him Anna and myself we just went up to Newcastle uh to the ground and uh we had a meeting with Keegan and then we sponsored a Newcastle game and yeah I met him uh I met him a few times and he was a, just a lovely guy and he he just wanted to help so we, we had a meeting up there Keegan and then in came Andy Cole who was there at the time and uh Peter Beardsley and stuff like that um, so it was it was good. It was enjoyable, and it was just to be in the football, the mix, you know, with with the football club was was just was just lovely. It's interesting that um, he actually had involvement because, like, like people like Gaza uh, just like kind of had their names slapped on tons of different games, and I'm not sure they even kind of played played some of the products before they went out. Well, but um, we were meant to have used um, the motion capture of uh, David Seaman, I think, for one of our games. And he was he was touted as <laughs> of being covered in these ping pong balls and being motion captured and stuff like that. But uh, I did all the motion captures with, uh, with a company out in Norwich and we used an Ipswich um, reserve goalkeeper and... And also Ipswich player uh, at the time, uh, Simon Milton. And um, both those guys did all the animation. So, I mean, I think we paid Davey Seaman to say that he, he'd done them. <laughs> um, and I think we had to send him a buttload of, um, of PC gear and stuff like this as well. But um, no, Seaman never came anywhere near our product. Well, <laughs> it, it became like a, a huge genre, the, the kind of management games. And... Um, like championship manager came out. Did you have any um, contact with the Collier brothers at all? And um, no. what what did you think of that title? Uh, I used to this thing. I, I did used to, I did play it for a while, and f- I mean football management games were games that I'd always I always kept an eye on. I, I would always have a look at it. Even back in the Spectrum days, like you said, you said before about the Kevin Toms game. Well, there were a whole bunch of games that I was influenced by back at back in the day there and then obviously yes champ man came out and i remember meeting someone from champ man up at up at a computer show somewhere that we did uh i think it was in islington or something like that and i think they they inquired about my availability at the time uh, but i was i was quite happy with uh, anko and and the way we did things and um but i'm not sure we were ever i mean we must have been influenced in some way we must have been influenced uh, with some of the player manager stuff that we did by Chapman, but I, I couldn't pick out a particular instance that that said, "Oh, yeah, we we copied them on this or that or the other." And as as the time went on, I I think they actually copied some stuff that we did. I mean, we had player 
talks and all this kind of business and, and more I don't know our management games were a lot more touchy-feely by the time Anko finished and I always felt that Champ Man was just like a big database that kind of left me cold it, it kind of also- did have that database feel didn't it it was yeah. like you were watching teletext you'd <laughs> see the yeah. scores then you played Champ Man in your in your pants and dressing gown <laughs> it <laughs> yeah. was like yeah well, they're always um, in our games, in our our player manager games. You never knew what was going to happen. Nothing was predetermined. Nothing was fate, and nothing was forced either. But when I played championship manager at times, I felt that there was a it was a glass ceiling that I just could not get through. And I w- I would win games and think, oh, I'm I'm getting somewhere here. And then I would hit this ceiling and then I would be I would be forced to lose when I couldn't understand why I was losing. And it just felt there was something else that was just keeping me pressed down because I wasn't in a big team. I think for some reason I was I was managing Orient or something like that. And I got up to the top division. I just couldn't seem to get any further. But it it wasn't that I couldn't get better players or stuff like that. It just felt like something was stopping me from progressing. And I didn't like that. I didn't like that at all. And you ended up working on some of the um, uh, Champman games eventually, but I don't know, was that the original series? Because I know there was loads of like fights over names and uh, uh, this it wasn't, and that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a whole different thing because when Anil died, Anthony Kine and myself, who who he was a... He was a designer there and, and a coder. He did, he did some code as well. Uh, we decided to... Not a power grab because... Uh, I was largely in charge here as it was anyway, but we, we decided to kind of cherry pick people to keep the company going, even though the company were gone, if you see what I mean. Uh, we were, we were going to start a new company that was good. It was going to be called Floodlit Games or something like that. And um, so we kept the product that we were working on at the time, which was Player Managers of 2003, I think. We kept that. We kept producing that. We kept working on that because we were going to sell it and we were going to look for a, a new publisher. And what happened was before we could even sell it, Idos wanted to um, talk to us. So we thought, oh, OK, they, that's that's odd. They've, they've got championship manager out. Why do they want to talk to us about our management game? Uh, and we showed them the game. And at the at the end of the like the. I was going to say an interview, but at the end of the showing anyway, they said, well, that that's all well and good, but, you know, it's not the product that we want to buy. It's you guys. Whoa. <laughs> um, so that's how that happened. <laughs> and championship manager, if I've got this right, is now Sega and football manager. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's right. It's mega confusing, isn't it? Yeah, so SI... <laughs> SI um, what I didn't know at the time was SI had um, had arranged to split from IDOS and then they did Football Manager and they took the code base with them and then um, Championship Manager carried on. But we had to we had to come up with a product from scratch and rather than keep the look and feel the same, which they were allowed to do, they decided to change it all up. So, um, yeah. We were we were part of the team um, that was brought in to make the new championship manager, and that was a tough. I mean, <laughs> talk about a tough ask coming in to replace Dino, but I mean that that's a ridiculously tough ask again. 
But, yeah, uh, yeah. Two, two, two kind of series <laughs> that you have to take up on your own. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you're never, get, you're never going to hit the ground running on that. So it took us, I think it took us a good four or five years to really, to build a product that you iterate on and then you start to have something really strong. And I think Championship 2010, which was the last one we put out, I, I thought that was right up there. That was really, really good. Um, in terms of being playable, in terms of the size and the scope of it, um, I would have much rather have played that than than FM at that at that point in time. Um, but uh, we overstaffed, and um, it wasn't a viable um, company anymore. So the beautiful game studio that that we were, um, it all came crashing down. I mean, kind of getting to the end of the um, the kickoff series as well. I mean, you kind of touched on that with the, the closure of Anko before. I mean, you had kickoff 2002. Yeah. Were you disappointed with the reception that game got? No, not at all. Um, actually, that uh, I mean, that was almost one of the first um, Kickstarter type, type um, deals because I was talking to the, the wider kickoff community on uh, at that point through the kickoff association. And I said, you know, would there be any interest in in writing a new kickoff game now, like back to the old style um, retro kind of uh, engine? And hmm. and and there was. So I thought, right, okay, well, I'm uh, I'm going to write it with, um, but with the community. So I would write it, and I would put up test versions all the time. Um, yeah, we developed the game like that. It was a game that was ninety percent developed back in my bedroom. Or in my office, right. but bedroom coding sounds uh, sexier. So, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you, you're working on a sequel as well that was never released. Is that right? One that was meant to come out in 2004. They just didn't happen because because of Annal's death, and and as soon as we went to um, IDOS, uh, all the rights to kick off and play manager, they were consumed within the IDOS uh, umbrella. Well, obviously, Dino brought it back in. 2015 a couple of years ago kickoff revival yeah i mean were you did he talk to you about that then or was that kind of a surprise to you and what did you think of it look dino dino won't talk to me about anything you know i mean he's uh dino's <laughs> as far as dino's concerned i never existed anyway so uh we d- we did meet up again around let me think 20 let's say 2015 we met in dublin at a kickoff world cup and uh he barely said a word to me, um, but you know, that's Dino. Well, that's the way he is. <laughs> I was just going to mention the um, you mentioned the kickoff World Cup, uh, the kickoff gathering, which um, seems to be happening every year in Germany. Yeah, and they're, and they're doing mm-hmm. World Cup events still in like yes, they are. Yeah, twenty nineteen, yeah. absolutely mad. <laughs> like, are you amazed that this there's this community still kind of really into it and, oh, and, and yeah, driving I mean, the game you know yeah we um well i personally set up the kickoff 2001 world cup um because because of the community was still out there i thought well, well let's let's put this on a more official official standing so we we set up this kickoff 2000 world cup which was her which was let me think in dartford uh and then the following year it was in athens so 2002, we went to Athens, and from there, it's still going. I mean, it, this year, this year it was online uh, just because of events, you know. But um, it's been all over the place. 
I think it's been to Norway, it's been to Germany uh, quite a bit, um, Italy. Yeah, it's held somewhere different, um, different most years. But yeah, it's something I'm very proud of that. I was able to take my son out to one. Well, he, he went to a few, but I was able to take him out to one in Dusseldorf in 2010. And I think that's the first time he'd ever seen daddy in, in his work environment, um, you know, where where I'm seen as not just being daddy. I'm, I'm seen as being someone who's who's helped come up with a game that all these people are just crazy fanatical about. And uh, it was good for him to see that. And, uh, people asking you to sign the copy of the game yeah and yeah and photos yeah. and all this and then, <laughs> yeah. and then we had to we had to do uh, I had to go up on the stage at the end of the tournament and and do a speech and all this kind of business and I had Cameron who's my son I had him up on stage with me and he was what was he at 12 at the time and then all the guys were chanting his name and I was just oh, oh it's wow. just lovely I mean it's just a lovely memory it is great because, I mean, you know, obviously we're not at the moment, but the last few years we've been to a lot of like these retro gaming shows all over Europe. And, I mean, we went to one in Ireland back in January and this tradition that they always have like a kickoff tournament, you know, on the Amiga and stuff like that. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, this stuff you were doing like 30 years ago, I mean, you, you couldn't have imagined that people were still will be playing that game, that original game all these years later. Oh, yeah, of course. And it's, it's the thing that I'm proud of is just seeing my, my little sprites running around everywhere. You know? yeah. And then they're kind of an, an iconic look, these little sprites that, you know, these 16 by 16 and uh, like seven colours to make everything. Uh, but, mm. And that's both teams. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I could not have could not have even dreamt that it would have the longevity that it's had and, and, and the crazy cult following as well because these people are seriously, seriously, well, they take it so serious, the game. Mm. And there's some styles of play that are just outrageous. Uh, I remember the first World Cup uh, when it came along, I was, um, uh, someone asked me if I'd, I'd have a friendly game and I, I'm used to, I was used to beating people at kickoff and, um, having competitive games, but then beating, you know, being able to beat beat someone. And then I played this guy, Alkis from Greece, and he handed my ass to me, 8-0. And I'm like, <laughs> and he was taking it easy as well. And I'm thinking, oh, my <laughs> days. I mean, what what's happening here? And, um, yeah, the, uh, the thing about kickoff is that there are so many different styles. You know, very rarely do two people play the game the same way. And That's you can pick bit, it. Right? You can pick it up in about ten minutes as well of just sitting down and playing. If if you've played it before, you're just like, oh, I remember this. And that's probably why it appeals it. so much to, yeah, to I think these I, events. Yeah, I think if you slam a joystick in someone's hand, by the time they get into the second half, um, then they're like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember how to do that now. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, it's coming back to me. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cause my little nephew, he, he shoved an Xbox controller in my hand. He's like trying, trying to play FIFA with him. I'm like, what, what the hell is going on here? Too many buttons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give me a, give me a controller with just a stick, a stick and a button, <laughs> mate, and uh, and anchor it to a table. I don't want, I don't want that on my lap. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's got to be, uh, it's got to be screwed down to something. Or, or lick the little sticky cups on the bottom and, and slap it. Yeah, on. yeah, yeah. But uh, what you never want is that that stick to move. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Oh, well, Steve, it's been incredible getting your stories. Really appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing them with us this week. I mean, what, what are you working on these days then? What, what's, what's kind of your life at the moment? Um, well, about, what, three years ago now, I decided that um, I'd had enough just, you know, commuting into London and working like that. So 
So I, ju- I just work from home now and I, I'm actually doing, I'm working on a, a football management game at the moment, wow. um, which I can't really talk too much about, but I'm hoping that's going to see the light of day, certainly in the first half of next year. But it's been a massive undertaking um, and largely because it's primarily just me working on it. Mm. And it's it's just enormous. We'll see what happens with that. We'll see what happens with that. And I've I've just got little bits of work that just uh, keep me ticking over. What's the best way for people to keep up to date with what you're doing? And I know you tweet. Uh, the best <laughs> the best way. I, look, I haven't got a blog or anything like that. And um, the best way is just uh, if anyone's interested, just tap me up on Twitter and say hello, mate. What are you doing these days? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll put a link to your Twitter in our show notes. Yeah, too, no so, worries. Uh, if people want to find out, they can get in touch. This, it's been incredible talking to you. Thank you again for coming on and uh, sharing your stories with you. It's, it's been amazing talking to you, Steve. Yeah, no worries, mate. And uh, I've enjoyed it. So cheers. Steve.